Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have They Live Forever, a CBS radio production that honors the bravery of those who have served and died in the early days of the war. It aired on Sunday nights over CBS stations on various dates in the late winter and spring of 1942. The series was designed to increase support for the war effort on the home front. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us to continue to produce the podcast, and thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Listen, please. What you are about to hear is true. What you are about to hear is fact, not fiction. Sit right where you are and listen. This is important. It's for you. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents They Live Forever. This is a pledge from the American people to its dead. A pledge from 132 million fighting mad Americans. To those men sleeping in their graves in the Philippines. To those men lying at the bottom of the North Atlantic or in the bay at Pearl Harbor. This is our message. We will not forget. We are not going to make up stories about you. We're going to tell the folks at home what really happened. And they're going to make sure that you live forever. Killed in action. Sergeant George Gannam, Savannah, Georgia. Gunner's mate Richard Schuen, Memphis, Tennessee. Private Robert Nietzsche Grand Rapids, Michigan. Private George Zapala, Roslindale, Massachusetts. Technical Sergeant Herman Reese, the Menemy, Michigan. Dead George Gannam. Murdered at Pearl Harbor. Gannam? What kind of a name is that? American now, but Syrian originally. Let me tell you the story of George Gannam. His parents were born near Beirut. That's in Syria. And came to America in 1905. They had four sons. The youngest was born October 26, 1920. He was called George. As a kid, George Gannam liked photography and chemistry. He was a pretty good football player, and he liked to build model airplanes. Most of all, though, young George Gannam enjoyed working in the neighborhood clubhouse, which he and his clubmates had erected. Outside the clubhouse stood a flagpole. George had insisted on it. He made it himself. He personally saw to it that the flag flew regularly from its masthead. His parents were proud of him because he was growing up just like any other American boy. In July of 1939, George entered the Air Corps of the United States Army. After his training, he learned of a vacancy in one of the bomber squadrons stationed in Hawaii. 
Immediately, he applied for foreign service. Immediately, his request was granted. George Gannam was a staff sergeant attached to the headquarters squadron of the 18th Pursuit Group. On that Sunday morning, when the vultures of the Mikado swept down and rained death where peace had been, George Gannam was killed. We won't forget that Sunday morning, George Gannam. We won't forget you. A few hours ago, near your home in Savannah, ceremony was held around a 50-foot flagpole erected by your father. Drawn up before that flagstaff were cadets from the Benedictine Military Academy, the school you attended. Drums rolled, bugles blared. A flag was hoisted to its masthead. It was the same flag you used to fly from the clubhouse flagpole when you were a boy. That's how they're remembering you. This is how they're avenging you. Your brother is now in the United States Navy stationed at the Norfolk Naval Air Base. He's grim these days. All he has to say is, I have a date with a couple of Jap flyers. To the west, 9,880 miles from the Capitol Dome in Washington is a narrow neck of American soil. It's not big, about 20 miles wide, 45 miles long. But tonight, on Bataan Peninsula, on the island of Luzon in the Philippines, one of the truly great battles of history is being fought. Item one, the story told by the army nurse. You know, even if they blindfolded us, we could tell Philippine scouts when they're brought to the operating table. They never flinch. Often they refuse anesthetic. They tell the doctors to hurry up and sew them up so that they can get back to their regiment. Item two, the record of Private Bayani. An infantryman approached a superior officer and reported the following. Yes? I met eight Japs in the woods. Well? I shot them, sir. How many shots did you fire? Why, eight shots, sir. Item three. The adventure of the Filipino truck driver. Last week in the captured province of Batangas, the Japanese commandant rounded up all male civilians. Attention! Most honorable commandant wish to address you. Sir. The true leader of the Filipino people, General Aguinaldo, has asked you to offer no resistance to our troops. You are to cooperate with Japanese forces. It is necessary for me to send a detachment of Japanese soldiers to a frontier outpost. These men will be transported by truck. I am asking for someone familiar with these roads to drive my men to our outpost. Are there any volunteers? Are there any volunteers? Si, senor. Step forward. Question this man. What is your name? Quiba. What? Quiba, senor. It is better. You know these roads? Perfectly. Excellent. You arrive at once. The commandant is happy to think that the Philippine population is finally accepting our protection and generosity with obedience. The truck rolled forward along the steep, narrow roads of Batangas province. Twenty-four Japanese soldiers, much valuable equipment, and Cueva, 
a lone Filipino in the driver's seat. They'd been traveling for some time along the treacherous road when they came to a sharp curve. Deliberately, Cueva pushed the accelerator to the floorboard. He swung the wheel to the left. Oh, he knew what he was doing. The truck and its passengers plunged over the cliffs into a canyon. Eleven Japanese soldiers were killed, the others seriously injured. And Cueva? Cueva, the little Filipino truck driver? He was killed. Today in the province of Batangas, they honor Cueva, the truck driver, as a hero. These are true stories of men who are fighting in the Philippines with MacArthur. This week, the people of the United States are honoring Douglas MacArthur, commanding general of all the United States Armed Forces in the Far East. In saluting his men, we pay tribute to him. But today, tribute alone is not enough. We must do more. Almost every radio program has a commercial. The commercial tells you why the program's on the air. Well, we're going to give you a commercial now. We're going to tell you why this program comes on the air every Sunday night. We don't read casualty lists or present bereaved mothers and wives as entertainment. We're not working night and day on this series because we enjoy it. But because we know that there's only one way to win a war... And that's by fighting. And you can't fight if you don't realize how serious war is. How serious this war is. Don't laugh. You'd be surprised how many people still think this is happening to the other guy. It isn't. It's happening to you. Oh, it's comforting to think. Defeats? We've had defeats already, and we're going to have a lot more. But America can bear defeat. There was Trenton and Saratoga and Bull Run. We've known defeat before. It's usually come before we've tasted victory. Sure, they're doing good now. Singapore, the Philippines, this is their round. But the bell is going to ring for the next round soon, and that round will be ours. It's going to be the last round, too. Those speeches are all very true. Funny thing about them, though. We keep saying, wait till we begin. Wait till our boys go to work on them. Well... Waiting isn't going to win this war. France waited. So did Holland and Norway and all those other countries. The time is now. We can't wait. 132 million of us are in this war and we've got to do our share. This war circles the globe. Here's what's happening in the Atlantic. Torpedoed and sunk off the Dutch West Indies. Norwegian tanker Kungsgaard, 39 dead. Torpedoed and sunk off the North Carolina coast. American tanker Alan Jackson, 22 lost. Torpedoed and sunk Canadian passenger ship Lady Hawkins. Death list, 245. Stop it! I could list 31 ships lost in the Atlantic in the past five weeks. Stop it! That's what we're doing, stopping it. Too many of our seamen dead from the torpedoes of Adolf Hitler's submarines. Yes, too many of you men have gone down at sea with your ships. We won't forget. Instead of singing your praises, we're going to tell you something you'd rather hear. Those submarines lurking off our coast won't get back to Germany. They'll join you there at the bottom of the sea. 
You want proof? Listen to this report radioed by a naval patrol pilot to his base. Sighted sub. Sank same. Simple but to the point, isn't it? Sighted sub. Sank same. That's what the Navy's doing to balance the books. The United States Navy on active duty 24 hours a day. But there are men on shore who are working on that too. Within three and a half months, the Maritime Commission will be turning out two merchant ships a day. That's three and a half months from now. Today, right now, February 22nd, 1942, the United States Navy is launching at least one combat vessel a day. And it will continue to launch at least one new combat vessel for every day this war lasts. That's our answer to their killings. We have other answers, too. From American homes and factories and streets. We'll pay them back for you. 132 million aroused Americans will pay them back. With a battered aluminum frying pan, we'll pay them back. With a stack of old newspapers. A kid buying a 10-cent defense stamp. 125,000 airplanes. 8 million tons of shipping. Bayonets, an army with 10 million of them. Bombs. Get this, 100 million bombs. with our brothers and our sons and our sweethearts, with our blood. Tonight we're inaugurating a new department on this program. It opens with a frantic fanfare. The Department of Vital Statistics for those who are too busy to listen to a half-hour program about America, wrapped up in 30 seconds. You can help fight the war with waste paper. It doesn't take long to save a hundred pounds of newspapers. And a hundred pounds of newspapers will make enough containers to carry 70 incendiary bombs, 2,000 shell casings, or 2,400 machine gun clips. Get this! A hundred pounds of newspapers will make enough containers to carry 70 incendiary bombs, 2,000 shell casings, or 2,400 machine gun clips. <laughs> 30 seconds. That's it. And by the way, you ought to get out tomorrow and buy defense bonds. For those of you who need a bonus to be a patriot, this government pays 2%. If you lived in Germany, they'd just take your dough. Ladies and gentlemen, the man I'm about to introduce is not a public speaker nor a public official. He can best be described as an American from the state of Tennessee. He's a veteran of the last war, a veteran you've all heard about. Through special facilities direct to WNOX, Knoxville, Tennessee, we present Sergeant Alvin C. York. It's not an easy thing for a man to make up his mind to go to war. I well remember the doubt and confusion I felt about going to the last one. A war means more than uniforms, marching, and band music. It means facing death and suffering. And what's almost worse, it means carrying death and suffering to others. We Americans never wanted any part of this war. We did our best to keep out of it, but it was left, well, not left up to us. War was forced on us when we were treacherously ambushed at Pearl Harbor. So against our will, we are now in a desperate battle 
to keep for ourselves and our children the freedom our grandfathers fought and died to win. Whether all of us realize it or not, we are fighting for life itself. Thou shall not kill is written in the Bible. Here in America, we've always tried to follow that commandment. Our enemies have denied us the right to follow it. There is another passage of scripture that points to our duty and helps to give us the strength we need today. It says, render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The Caesars of today have demanded of us the sword. They will get just that. This war will be long, the hardest road the American people have ever had to travel. We've got to forget our bickering. We've got to put aside a lot of the comforts we've learned to expect as the rights of Americans. We've got to get up out of our soft, complacent, easy cheers and rip together into one solid chunk of aroused America. Then this war will end. We can't know. We do know that someday peace will return to the world. But before peace is won, all of us must work and fight to our last ounce of strength. Wishes and words won't do this. Our own flesh and blood, yes, you and I, we have got to do this job. And with God's help, on that day, the United States will be victorious. We've just heard Sergeant Alvin C. York. Now we'd like to tell you about another man from Tennessee, Richard Martin Schoen. A gunner's mate on a fighting ship is a pretty important job. Richard Martin Schoen was a gunner's mate on the USS West Virginia, a unit attached to the Pacific Battle Fleet. The West Virginia lay at anchor in Pearl Harbor on that Sunday we will never forget. When the command battle stations was given, Richard Schoen sprang to his gun, and he's credited with shooting down at least one Japanese bomber. Then he was killed. They remember you, Dick. Sure. Knew him well. Did a five-year hitch in the Navy. Gee, he was wrestling champ of the ship. A swell-looking guy. I remember Dick. He had blue eyes and his hair was blonde. I guess he was about 22. Yes, he went to Hume's High School when he was a kid. Everybody liked him. That's all we have to tell you from here. Richard Martin Schoen lived in Memphis, Tennessee. For the rest of the story, we take you there. This is W.R.E.C. in Memphis. Seated across from me is a man. I'd like to let him talk. Twenty-four years ago, I was a top sergeant in the 1st Regiment of the King's Guards of the Imperial German Army. Originally, the regiment was from Stuttgart, but I fought for three years in Belgium, in France, in Russia, Poland, and in Italy. I was wounded seven times. For that, they gave me the Iron Cross first class, also the Iron Cross second class. When the war was over, I left Germany and came to America. I have been a citizen for five years now. I am proud to be an American. I love this country. 
My name is Richard Martin Schuon Sr. I'm the father of the boy you just heard about. He was my only son, but his mother and I are proud that he fought and died for this country. Lots of parents are not privileged like we are. We have no regret. That's not a story. That is truth. Will you repeat that casualty list, please? Slowly this time. We don't want to miss any of those names. Private Robert Nitschwicki, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Private Joseph Zapala, Roselandale, Massachusetts. Seaman Sidney La Riviere, Lafayette, Louisiana. Sergeant George Gannon, Savannah, Georgia. Gunner's mate Richard Marchant Schuon, Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you. There's a great actor here tonight who'd like to say something about those names. Go ahead, Joseph Schultkraut. Niedwiecki, Zapala, Ganem, La Riviere. These are American names. Perhaps they don't sound American, but they are. America is made up of the names and the peoples of all nations. The people of Britain settled in New England. And out of the rocks and boulders of the new land, they hewed farms and factories. And then the Dutch came. Peter Stuyvesant, he of the wooden leg, the Dutch. They settled New York and Pennsylvania. And down in the bayous round New Orleans, the Spanish and the French built their cities and plantations. Wisconsin. Minnesota. Why, have you ever seen the well-ordered farms and the miles of wheat and of corn? Have you ever seen the dairies as white as the milk itself? Swedes and Norwegians rooted up the pine stumps. They cleared that land. Why, you've traveled on the railroads? Well... The ties and the tracks were laid with the sweat and the muscle of strong sons and grandsons of Ireland, Italy, China. Steel. Steel for our buildings. Steel for our cities. Go into the rolling mills of Gary, at Pittsburgh, at Bethlehem. Go on and look into the faces lighted by the reflection of the molten ore. Poles. Hungarians, Russians, Czechoslovaks. This is America. America. A blending of the freedom lovers of all nations. Yes, Nedvetsky, Zapala, Shuan. They or their fathers or their father's father came here longing for what they were denied. A right to live free. Yes, 
citizens by preference. Why these people came not only to accept that freedom, no, but to fight to preserve it. The battle standards of our armies honor their names. Names of men who fought at the founding of our country. Thaddeus Kosciuszko. Frederick von Steuben. Kashmir Polaski. Marie Joseph Paul Lafayette. Those men came from warm homes, yes, and great estates to fight in the wilderness for freedom. Those who don't have it know best what freedom is. They knew freedom once in Czechoslovakia. They laughed there. They danced the mazurka. They knew freedom once in Vienna. Why, they sipped their coffee, danced waltzes, sang, laughed, listened to the music of Beethoven, of Mozart, of Johann Strauss. Yes, they knew freedom once and tasted it in Norway, in Holland, in Belgium. But then... Then came the Hakenkreuz, the Hook Cross, the Spastika. Today, they do not dance in Czechoslovakia. No, they do not laugh in Vienna. In Europe today, there is no freedom. People are silent. Bitter, waiting. And their wait is not hopeless. No, America has not forgotten von Steuben and Kosciuszko. No, America will not forget the Shuans, the Ganams, and all the others. No, our liberty will be their liberty. America is made up of people of all nations who came here because they were devoted to that one cause, freedom. Today, not only Americans, no, but their brothers and cousins and all parts of the world are fighting, fighting for freedom. For freedom. For freedom, millions and millions of men and women are fighting. And they're marching toward their future victory bravely, unafraid, singing. These are the songs of friends. The Republic of China. China's been at war since 1931. Two million men marched to their deaths, singing a song of vengeance. Today, China has five million under arms, ten million more in training, and these 15 million soldiers are singing this song as they march with the Friends of Freedom. Yugoslavia's mobilization was never completed. Almost half a million of their people have been murdered by the Nazis. But today, harassing the flanks of Adolf Hitler, 
150,000 Chetniks are still fighting in the hills, battling for their country, for their lives, for freedom. During brief moments of rest, these guerrilla fighters sing this song. <laughs> The Commonwealth of Australia. In this war, as in the last war, no one fights more valiantly than the Anzacs. Australia tonight is an armed fortress with invasion at her door. Even as the Anzacs fight, they sing... Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda, you'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boy. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. Waltzing Matilda, Waltzing Matilda. The Soviet Union! Almost three million Russians killed or wounded. Over ten million men under arms. Ten million men sweeping across the snows to victory. They sing to those Russians the song of the machine guns. The United States of America. Many people all over the world are fighting and working for victory. Too many of us are smugly sitting back doing nothing but expecting everything. What are you doing? The next of kin of all heroes mentioned tonight have been informed by the proper authorities. This has been confirmed. This testimonial from the American people is presented by the Columbia Broadcasting System each week at this time. Barry Kroger is your narrator, with words by Howard Teichman and Jerome Lawrence, music by Lynn Murray, and production by Charles Vander. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.